This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. to Chapter Tactics, your 40k podcast, which focuses on playing Warhammer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. Uh, I'm excited for this week's episode because I named the podcast Chapter Tactics, and lo and behold, GW gifted us the king supreme of all Chapter Tactics, Robot Giamin, as I like to call him. Uh, his name is in question. Some people call him Robot Girlyman. Dan, my guest, would you like to? How do you pronounce his name? Well, this is a topic of uh, hot contention. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but I do believe, I do believe that the correct name is Robute Gilliman. Ah, and, and uh, interesting tidbit um, from the Warhammer TV guys at Delvio. According to them, the official way to pronounce his name is as it's said in the Black Library audiobooks, and the way you pronounce it there is Robote Gilliman. Well, I've uh, listened to two different books, oh, okay. and uh, they have different pronunciations. No! <laughs> <laughs> so, so to use that, it doesn't really work. Um, no, okay. In in No No Fear, which is um, one of uh, Dan Abnett's books, the best one in I, my opinion. Yes, it's, it's a really it's a good, good one. I do believe they pronounce it uh, Reboot Gilliman. Reboot. Okay. Uh, but no, sorry, I take that back. They pronounce him Robute Gilliman. Oh no! Uh, but in the first Heretic, it's Robute Gilliman. So oh, um, no. Okay. Well, uh, anyways, that's that's very very interesting, um, guys. I will be for the rest of this podcast referring to him as Gilliman. So if you guys don't know the difference between Gilliman and Gilliman, because they do sound different, um, I just take that from the Latin derivative of Gilliman because it's a French word. And you, you split the two L's and you make a Y sound. So that's how I pronounce him personally. Uh, you guys can also call him Big Bobby G. That's what the Warhammer TV guys call him, and I like that. I think that's a, a good, solid name that everyone can get behind. Big Bobby G. So, anyways, we're going to be talking about the, of course, Gathering Storm 3, Rise of the Primarch book. We're going to talk about everything. We're going to go over everything in the book, all the data slates, all the rules. Um, but we're not going to cover every little individual thing. So if, um, as you guys do tend to call out every single episode, uh, we are going to skip a few things. It doesn't mean that I missed them or that I forgot about them. It's just I didn't feel like the, there, that specific, specific role was worth mentioning in the grand scheme of things. A perfect example is the Visarch last, or uh, when we talked about the Gathering Storm, the Fractured Beltan, the first part, part one. Uh, I didn't feel like mentioning that the Visarch had the lookout sir, could automatically pass lookout sirs on Eidrain. 
I feel I didn't feel like that was worth mentioning. Um, just personally, just because I didn't really like that rule from a competitive standpoint. Like I felt like it didn't. It added. It was kind of cool and fluffy, but it didn't add a whole lot to the actual Visark character. And he's also he's sadly the worst of all of that that triumvirate. So I'm going to skip a couple things. I'm going to highlight the things that I feel are important. Um, if you guys want to chime in and say, hey, I actually think this rule is important, you could say so in the comments, frontlinegaming.org. Uh, I will not disagree with you. I would, I'd like to hear you, you guys think all the time. Um, Dan, are you excited? I'm actually uh, very excited. For those of you who don't know, Dan is a writer on the blog. Uh, he is also a huge Ultramarines fan. His, his Ultramarines paint scheme is to die for. Uh, I, as soon as I saw pictures of your models, Dan, online, I, I kind of just wanted to grab all my models and throw them into a fire pit. You're giving me a lot of credits. Um, I don't good. think <laughs> I don't think I'm an incredible painter. Uh, what I do have is a lot of trial and error practice. Oh. So, so the scheme you see on the internet has taken about 18 years to develop. Wow. Well, that's the Gaiman would be proud. Uh, yes, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're going to be talking about the rules, the data slates, um, and how they how they kind of will affect you and your own local meta and the overarching tournament meta. Um, not just ITC, but ATC, ETC, uh, Nova, mm. every meta. And also we're going to talk about some lists that maybe we have. Um, my personal goal is to get Guillemin and make him really competitive and maybe get him to a top table. But there's multiple ways to run him. He's a real versatile character, and we'll get more into that when we talk about him and at the end of the podcast. So if you guys want to fast forward to that and skip all the tournament news stuff, we're actually, which we're actually going to jump into right now, um, you go ahead and go to the end of the podcast, and that's where we talk about specific list building with Guillemin. Um, I, I, I don't have any lists. Well, I do have lists that have Cypher and Voldis in them, but I don't have any specific lists that revolve around those guys, uh, mostly because I think that they're not the big the the big awesome release for the triumvirates obviously game and that and i'm also very biased my episode my podcast is called chapter tactics and i am a huge ultramarines fan um so warning guys there will be a little bit of smurf bias here uh, i apologize in advance but i am actually super excited all right let's get on to tournament news so next week we have the march madness uh open gt uh, I think it's just the March Madness. Um, it is a large event in Arkansas. We actually talked about it two podcast episodes ago. I interviewed one of their representatives. Uh, it's it's going to be a great event. I suggest you go to look at that event if you have a if you want to attend an ITC event in Arkansas. It's it's you're going to get a lot of ITC points. They're giving out a huge cash prize pool. It, it'll be awesome. It'll be a really great event, and I'll link to that in the show notes so you guys can check that out more. Also, we have the first annual GHT event in New South Wales, Australia. I don't know much about the event, but it's going to be next week, um, the 18th, and it's a six-round event. So it's a, it's a six-round event that's already really cool. Uh, I don't know how many people, they have no players registered yet, so I don't know if it's going to be an actual event. But if you're in the area in Australia, that might be something you want to check out. It's a six-round event. Take a nice, Have a good, nice weekend. Um, and then finally, there is the Allies of Convenience renegade gt in arizona it's a team tournament that i will personally be attending it's a an atc or etc i think it's etc style team event um it's going to be a lot of fun my two teammates because uh, it's only going to be three players not the traditional full team so it's kind of like a mini team tournament and the three players on my team are me 
uh, Brett Perkins, the guy who won the Las Vegas Open. And I also had him in an interview last week. And then Matt Root, the guy who was is the ITC champion, last year's ITC champion, last season's ITC champion, I should say. Uh, so that that's our team. Uh, I'm going to be bringing my warp company, which is an, a battle company with 30 warp spiders. Matt Root's probably going to bring a, a good anti-air war convocation list is what we're trying to get him. We're, tr- we're working on Matt's list right now. He's the newest addition to the team. And then Brett's bringing his ETC list, which is uh, Magnus, the Red, Fate Weaver, and a Screamer Star. Real, real straightforward, real aggressive, nasty list. Dan, do you have any do you have any um, experience with the ETC team events? No, unfortunately, no. I've not played in any uh, tournament uh, that's uh, revolving around a team event. I am aware of the way it operates and works, but I've not actually um, I've not actually partaken in one. Okay, uh, so next week, guys, the podcast might be a little bit short for next week's episode. Um, if I can get a guest early on in the week, because I will be leaving early in the week for Arizona. Uh, I, it'll be a full episode, but I definitely plan on having an episode next week. And then the following week, I'm going to talk about the team tournament and also have a regular episode too. So that'll be a lot of fun, guys. For those of you interested in team events, they they sound super cool. I've always personally wanted to play in a team event, so I'm, I'm really excited for this. Um, there's defenders and attackers, and, and I'll talk about all that after the event when I've had kind of a feel for how it plays and how it works, and I can tell you guys more about it and have when I have more information. So that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, Dan, is there any events that you're going to be attending in the next week or two? Uh, no. One of the downsides to uh, where I live, uh, although it's incredibly beautiful, it's uh, a little bit isolated. So I have to travel quite a bit to basically partake in any event. Um, so not in the next few weeks, unfortunately. Oh, man. Well, it gives you a lot of time to practice that amazing Ultramarines paint scheme of yours. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I'm very lucky in the way that I actually have a very um, very lively community of Warhammer players. Uh, we're not actually tied to any particular tournament format, um, so we could basically play anything. Nice. Uh, but I will I will have a lot of experience from, you know, next week onwards of actually trying out the new, uh, the new stuff in the book. Right on. All right, Dan. So we're going to go ahead and hit this. Uh, hit a quick commercial about Frontline Gaming brought to you guys by the Life After the Cover Save podcast. Now, Blake and Ed, they are a hilarious duo. And go ahead and check them out, Life After the Cover Save. And this is a commercial brought to you by them. Yo, get off the computer. I need to check eBay. I got an auction ending soon. Wait, what are you doing on the computer? I'm just buying some minis online. Are you saving money? Nah, dude, saving clicks. Time is money, right? Hey, what the heck was that for? Dude, you gotta buy from Frontline Gaming. They offer savings on minis every single day and up to 25% off Games Workshop stuff. Whoa, that's better than saving clicks. With all that savings, I can take a few days off of work so I can paint these minis. Ow! You gotta stop that. It hurts. You know what hurts? Spending three weeks base coning models. Save yourself some pain and get them painted by Frontline Gaming's painting studio. You know what? You've got all the answers. That's why I'm glad you're my best friend. I don't know what I'd do without you. I could never hurt you. What are you looking up on eBay? I'm uh, selling a bunch of old models. Don't really use them anymore. Why aren't you going through Frontline Gaming's secondhand store? You can get money or store credit. I think you broke my nose. I don't like your tone, mister. So I'm just going to say this. Head over to FrontlineGaming.org for more details. 
and we're back. Dan, I'm excited. I'm pumped. Let's jump I'm very excited. This. Okay, so first, before we jump into it, let's talk about some first impressions uh, for the Triumvirate, the rule book. Uh, Dan, what were some first impressions? Okay, so I do actually think this book is good. Okay. I think there are some interesting options. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think the Primarch is good. Uh, but my overall impression is that it's on the cusp of greatness. It doesn't it doesn't quite reach it. Okay. So so I, I think I'm I I'm agree with I agree with you for the most part. I don't actually think there's a lot of good stuff in this book. I think there's a lot of stuff that was on the cusp of being pretty good, but either either GW decided to tone it down intentionally, uh, which is cool that they that they would decide to tone things down. Uh, the fact that they they're toning down a book that gives me a way to run the Primark of my preferred chapter is kind of a bummer. Like they probably could have saved it for like the last Gathering Storm book or the first Gathering Storm book. Um, but anyways, I think out of the three. Uh, my first impression was that this book is clearly the worst rules-wise out of all three. Oh, it's, it's the power. weakest by far it's, of the oh, three yeah. Gathering Storm, yeah. Yeah, that, that, yeah. that was my first impression. Uh, also, Giamon is a little bit of an enigma. I feel, at first glance, so I, I kind of rollercoastered about, specifically about Giamon and his rules and how powerful they are. At first, first impression, I was like, okay, he's bad. And then about a week later, I was like, oh, you know what? He's actually really, really overpowered and strong. And I'm kind of on the downward trend right now, uh, but as I'm building lists with him, I, I I feel like I feel like there's like like he's middle of the road, like I feel like like oh he's he was really bad like oh actually he's really overpowered, eh. um, and that's mostly because as you guys will find out later on in the podcast uh, how you can take him and actually I know we talk a lot about bad models or bad units and bad rules and good rules, uh, but a lot of things that that determine if a model is playable quote unquote in both competitive play and casual play is how you can take it. Uh, for example, sorcerer cabals for, from chaos space Marines, you never saw sorcerers in a chaos space Marine detachment. or you rarely saw chaos space Marine detachments with sorcerers because you could only take them in combined arms detachments in the chaos space Marine factions. But when the Cyclopia cabal was released, all of a sudden, Cabal Sorcerers were one of the most highly sought-after CSM units in the game. Ditto on Librarians in the Librarius Conclave. Outside yeah, of right Tigarius, from so as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really powerful formation. And you might be thinking, like, hey, that formation is really strong. It's not actually just the formation rules. Sure, harnessing on a 2-plus is good. And also the fact that you have all those rules. But it also limits your the amount of powers you can cast, which is bad, in a sense. But... The most powerful thing about it is being able to take five independent characters and attaching them to anything with zero attacks. That's absolutely you're not you're not bad. bound to a force org. That's exactly. right. Exactly, uh, and so that's that's what I've been waiting for. That's basically with list building. Um, what I was waiting for when I, I finally got my hands on this book is how can you take Gaiman? Is <clears> if <throat> you can take Gaiman solely by himself in a formation, that's really good. If you can take him as a part of a formation that or uh, a detachment that you'd want to run anyways for example if he was an option for a battle company a gladius strike force battle company he would be amazing because you're already going to take a battle company you just get a free game in on top of it that that's amazing right there so so how you take units depends uh, will also basically decide if a unit's playable or not 
Um, so there's something to think about as we're talking about these. And the only reason why I bring it up is because it's it, it's a little ambiguous with how you can take Guillemin. And we'll talk about that when we get to his data slate. And also Voldis and Cypher. That's pretty much it. That's, that's our first impressions. Let's go ahead and go on to the rules. Uh, real quick, the Fallen are a new faction introduced in here, Fallen Angels. Uh, they are the Fallen Angels faction. They are battle brothers with armies of the Imperium, except Dark Angels, because Dark Angels are traitor. Uh, I'm just joking. That's actually a rumor. That's a uh, fun little thing that we always like to joke about, because we have a buddy down here who's a huge Dark Angels fan. And he swears that they're loyalists, and we're like, but maybe not. He's like, no, they're loyalists, and we're like, well, you know, what if Cipher's the good guy? So it's actually funny that that this triumvirate came out, because now we get to poke fun at him. I'm not to, I'm not ruining any fluff here. I'm just talking nonsense and gossiping. Anyways, the Fallen are armies of the Imperium Battle Brothers and Chaos Space Marines Battle Brothers, so they're still an enigma. Uh, they are allies of convenience with Dark Eldar, Eldar, Harlequins, Necrons, Orcs. Renegade Knights and Inari, which is really cool because they actually have a lot of of options for allies that they can ally with. So Fallen, the Fallen faction, if it ever becomes, if GW ever decides to move on with that faction and actually make it a full blown codex, um, the Fallen would be one of the stronger factions simply because uh, their ally chart. They they only come the Apocalypse with demons, uh, Gene Star Cults, Tyranids, and Corn Demon can. So they're only come the Apoc with four things that most things are come the Apoc with anyways. And they dip into pretty much every other faction. Uh, they're desperate allies with Tau, um, which is, you know, you're running Riptide Wings anyways if you're going to splash in Tau for uh, competitive use. So eh, it's not that bad. I would I would splash in Tau if they are desperate allies. It's not, I mean, just for Riptides. Anyways, so that's kind of, I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, what do you think about the Fallen faction, Dan? So this is, um, what I mentioned before, this book is on the cusp of being good. This is exactly what I mean. <laughs> so so the only, uh, if you're a Chaos player, these guys are basically chosen. So yes. nothing new really for you. If you're an Imperium player, uh, this is a new faction for you. This is a new allied option you've not had before. Um, now, the only problem that I see is that really the only way you can take these guys is in the formation called Fallen Champions. Okay, so so we'll go ahead and jump into into the that part of the rulebook now. So the so we're gonna talk about the fallen and then cipher and then the fallen champions. We're gonna talk about the mm. fallen, the fallen champions formation, and then cipher. So go on, sorry, Dan, yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off there. Uh, well, should we start with cipher first of all? All right, let's start with cipher. Cipher, he's 190 points, um, which I, I don't remember the old supplement, the old data slate. You could take him in. I don't know how much he was worth then. It's uh, it's basically the same uh, data it, slate as before. Okay. It's the same point cost, yeah. Um, except, it did, was he if you were within? So he has so he has something that's kind of cool. So first, divine protection. I wanted to highlight that. Uh, it's if you are within d6 inches of cipher when he loses his last wound. If there's an enemy model within d6 inch, inches of cipher, then you, he when he's removed as a casualty he counts as. A casualty for the purposes of awarding victory points. Um, but you're, if you're not close to him, if you don't have an enemy model uh, that's close to him, you don't actually get victory points for killing him, which is kind of interesting because it says flat-out victory points. So would that translate into ITC points, for example, in a Maelstrom mission? Uh, it's it's just it's kind of cool. It's it's kind of a a cool thing. If he dies, he doesn't necessarily give away, give up a kill point, give up a key kill unit. Once so you kind of you can kind of be a little cagey with him, um, you know. So I think that's. But he is also a 190 point model, so you don't want to be. You mm. don't want to just throw him at your opponent. 
you know he has all he also has infiltrate uh, he has eternal warrior uh flee hit and run which is huge it's a great rule um so he has that and the fact that he has he can battle brothers with armies of the imperium or chaos space marine so he's already that that was already something good about him so i'm glad they kept that there he also has yeah shrouded, shrouded as well which is uh, which is shrouded a great rule really good and we'll actually we'll, we'll talk about that shrouded in particular um when we're talking about the list building but cypher cypher's cool so he's so he's solid he's a he's a solid uh independent character he's not nothing too crazy it, i think it's kind of cool that he can shoot quote unquote his pistols in close combat and one last thing to keep be aware of if you have him in your army your warlord has minus one leadership uh so if you're a space marine player and you want to include him you and you have one of those warlord traits where everyone gets to use your warlord's leadership trait um just keep that in mind something like that so that that might hurt a little that's it nothing too fancy under the fallen dan take it away so these guys, uh, <clears throat> it's 100 points starting out of the formation, and they're basically Space Marine veterans. It's the only way I can really look at them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they also have uh, bolt pistols and close combat weapons, so each guy is free attacks base in combat, which is quite good. Um, and they basically have all of the weapon options. That's This is what makes them unique. They have all of the weapon options of uh, basically Chaos Marines. And uh, uh, you can basically take a squad of... Uh, up to five plasma guns or melter guns, which is good. Uh, and they can also take a, a myriad of close combat weapons as well, but no grav, unfortunately. No, it is a bummer. They're also leadership 10, which is pretty cool. Yes, that is good. Um, yeah, so that's one up from normal veterans, I believe, in fact. Yeah, it is. It, they're slightly better than normal veterans because of the bolt pistol and close combat weapon and the leadership 10. Uh, they also get access to five like you said five special weapons there's something actually kind of funny here um i I don't think it's a gw mistake but i still think it's really funny uh it says here one fallen may replace his bolt gun with one of the following and one of the options is a heavy bolter an auto cannon or a melta gun so i don't know if they meant multi-melta there or they they like actually meant melta gun Mm. and then there's also underneath it there's plasma gun or missile launcher uh, a plasma cannon is worth 15 points, and a multi melta is worth 10 points, which is also what melta guns and plasma guns are listed as here. So I don't know if if they if that's a misprint or not. But typically, uh, when it when it comes to those kind of questions, I I just kind of tend to trust tend to trust GW, um, mostly because of the FAQ. When you got a lot of those questions like, why can't my Grey Knights take Space Marine relics, or is is uh, uh I'm sure this <laughs> I'm sure this question is going to come up in the gathering storm three book but does is Gaiman supposed to have independent character that, that question is going to come up guys calling it right now that that'll be mm. an faq question um so it, that might that's probably intentional but kind of weird uh and then you can four models can take like you said melty guns combi weapons plasma guns flamers um so they're also kind of like a command squad in a sense that's yeah. That's the closest you do to compare him to. I think would be would be a command squad with a few different options. Uh, you mentioned before you think the melter gun might be a typo. Uh, a multi melter would have been a lot nicer. I think as well. Oh yeah. The, now here's now here's the big thing that I don't like about these. Uh, the fallen champions formation does give them infiltrate, which is cool. Uh, but you mm-hmm. can't give them a dedicated transport. No. So you, you can't buy them pods. You can't buy them a rhino razorback. Uh, so they're they're essentially still one wound marine equivalent bodies um and they're 100 points so they're 10 points more expensive than a command squad 
So they're so ultimately, I think they're a bit underwhelming. I think the biggest downside of these guys is that um, the only way to take them is with Cipher. That's a lot of points you're going to spend on. I think I did the I did the math briefly just now. In fact, so if you take five guys with four plasma guns and one combi and Cipher, that's 360 points. Thanks. That's a lot. And that is that's basically that's that's basically the minimum kind of expense you'll be looking to spend on these guys if you want to take them. Um, I do think the formation has great rules. I think infiltrate. If you could take three squads of these guys and just infiltrate them. You can bolt these guys onto any kind of detachment, as we said before. Uh, you don't have to be battle bros because they're so independent because they yes. can infiltrate ahead of your ahead of your lines. But the formation is a mandatory cipher, and then one to three units have fallen. So um, yeah, that that's good and bad. I yeah, like I mean, so with cipher you can have one tough to kill unit. You can have one shrouded unit appearing almost at the enemy lines. Um, and doing some damage, that's good. Uh, but at the same time, Cypher's not really a tank. Any kind of ignore cover will be able to remove the unit from play very easily. Or just mass shooting. If you shoot just a bunch of bolters at them, they'll die just as easy. Um, even, yeah, I mean, even with that 2+, plus, if they're in ruins from Shrouded. That's right, I'm just, I'm just thinking, okay, what's a common army you're going to... Uh, come across it in a tournament. It will be a white scar battle company. Right. It will be. It will be Tau. We've all seen the Hunter's Eye Relic. We all know the new Psychic Power Space Marines have access to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have to. I mean, I could remove these guys from play using a unit that costs significantly less points than yeah. these guys. That's now, that's that's the real downside. Now the cool thing is, is from a casual perspective, um, the fact that they're allies to convenience with Dark Eldar and Orcs. And I guess Harlequins too. Um, what they do provide is they provide an infiltrating five meltagun unit. Um, yes. That is also, and they shall know no fear if they're within twelve inches of cipher and leadership ten, and can also potentially double as a, a an assault unit a pinch. Um, so if you guys are looking to add fallen to your other lists, um, they they might not be a bad option. Even for Chaos Space Marines, if you're running Chaos Space Marines. And you kind of have a hard time with getting units in your opponent's face. Like if you want to run World Eaters, for example, and, and you want to run Corn Berserkers at your opponent, but you kind of have a hard time getting like Melta Guns close to your opponent to pop transports for your Corn Berserkers to wipe people out of that. The Fallen might be a good option there. So, so the the Fallen formation, it, you do have to take the Cipher tax, um, but it is it can be pretty cool if you can take three of these Fallen and they infiltrate in places and put special weapons where you need them. Um, so if you don't have access to that in your army, um, orcs, orcs might need some melty guns randomly in buildings. Ditto and Dark Eldar. Dark Eldar have a hard time with vehicles. So that might be an option you guys might want to consider. A fun way to play these guys could be, um, you could literally try and infiltrate them somewhere completely out of line of sight. Uh, no ranged weapon upgrades, maybe a few close combat upgrades. Mm-hmm. And potentially harass units as they try to move out for objectives. Um, but again, that's very situational. Uh, it will depend on your opponent, what kind of army they're fielding. Yeah. But to be fair, if on the charge, these guys are not half bad just through sheer volume of dice. So against against a weaker army moving out, as I said, I think there is 
just potential. Yeah. Nothing you, guaranteed. You can give one a pair of lightning claws, and he's got four attacks. Um, he's got four attacks, five on the charge. That's right. Yeah. So that's. Um... Oh, actually, no. Sorry, he still has. Sorry, he still has three attacks because the lightning claws. Yeah, it'll still be. It'll, still count it'll be four attacks on the charge. Yeah. So it'll be four, but still, four lightning claws attacks on the charge is not bad. That's not. They they have some options. Um, for in terms of more casual play, but no, you're not going to see them at the top tables. Uh, which is I think ninety percent of the units in in a given faction in any given time, maybe eighty percent if you're Eldar. Um, you're generally not going to see a lot of units in top tables. Uh, but in terms of that, I think that I think that's actually a pretty smart way to run them. Actually, good job, Dan. Yeah, it's um, I have to say, Pablo, it is it is a little bit unfortunate because, like I said, if Cipher wasn't attacks and if they came stock with infiltrates. I think infiltrating three units of these guys with melters or plasmas would force an opponent to deploy defensively. I think, I think they could have been good. Yeah, you're right. Uh, maybe, they could have been good. Yeah, maybe making cipher like a zero to one option in the formation. That's right. Yeah. Um, so if yeah, if it was a one to three units of fallen cipher, a zero to one. I mean, cipher could still be there to give them. If you took him, he could still be because uh, he gives them and they should no fear and stubborn within twelve inches, which is quite good. But that could have been his bonus as opposed to um, as opposed to having to be attacks. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to Grandmaster Voldis. Uh, Grandmaster Voldis is the Grey Knight's character. Um, he has a basically a, a demon force weapon. A demon force hammer at, that strikes at initiative, which is really, really good. Uh, strength 8 AP2 at initiative 5 is, is amazing. You're swinging at, mostly, you're swinging at uh, average death stars. You're swinging above before they get to swing, which means you can maybe instant kill some guys. It has force, so you're swinging at the same time as a Wraith Knight, So and you're winning a Wraith Knight on a 4+, plus and hitting Wraith Knights on a 3. Um, so he can actually kind of match up to a Wraith Knight in close combat. Which I think is hilarious, except he doesn't have Eternal Warrior, so they might just kill each other. Uh, I think um, he won't be on his own, and there's one unit with his hammer as well, concussive. So if you hit that Wraith Knight, then the rest of your guys will go at the same time or before him, which is quite good. Well, so unfortunately, so concussive is if you suffer a wound, but since he and the Wraith Knight are swinging at the same initiative. The, all of That's the right. Wraith Knight's attacks will happen. But next round. So so if you have, like, if Voldis wounds the Wraith Knight. And That's then, right. I apologize. Wraith Knight's an initiative, uh, yeah. Um, initiative five. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, no. Uh, but if you have, like, an Imperial Knight, um, you could concuss the Wraith Knight. And then um, if that happens on your opponent's turn, on your turn, you could, like, charge the Wraith Knight with, like, an Imperial Knight or a Dread Knight or something. Something more likely to kill it um, but needs to swing before it. That's that's not bad. Concussive is cool. It's it's, it's actually a, a special rule like Soul Blaze that's almost never used, but it's on everything randomly. So, cool. So he, other than that, he's a Grandmaster. He has a Grandmaster stat line, which is basically a Space Marine Captain stat line. Um, he's in Terminator armor, so he has a two plus. He has the Space Marine Captain Iron Halo. Uh, he has pretty much everything that Grey Knights have in terms of war gear and special rules. So if you're a Grey Knight guy and you have that codex, he has everything. The Aegis, the end they shall know the fear. He's an independent character, preferred enemy demons, all that good stuff, psych out grenades. Um, his warlord trait lets him generate one more power than normal, but it must be generated from the demonology stanctic discipline, uh, which essentially gives him the Liber Demonica relic, but a slightly nerfed version of it. And he can generate powers from everything Grey Knights can generate, which uh, also includes the Space Marine powers, 
which uh, I, until recently I did not realize that Grey Knights could take those powers. But they yeah, it was a contention. Yeah, yeah, uh, but it's right there, clear as day. Uh, what do you think, Dan? What do you think about Grandmaster Voldis? I think his rules and stat line are good. I think his point costs are too much. He's two hundred and forty points. Yes, that's, that's I think lot. he's. I think uh, Grey Knights are an army which struggles for models far too much. I think he's a better HQ choice for probably not Grey Knights, but even then, uh, okay, let's look at the baseline. Let, uh, look at Saint Celestine. Look at Belisarius. Uh, I think he's simply too expensive. Yeah, Celestine does so much more than him and it's 40 points cheaper and mm. comes with five wounds and eternal warrior plus her her two little bodyguards um, uh, saint celestine is is 18 wounds in a typical game yes to get through. which is which is uh, insane for a warlord and not to yeah, mention 200 the points vein. yeah 200 points oh i mean <laughs> she she is she is a fully functioning independent unit yes. on her own never mind throwing her into different squads so i think Baldus. Don't get me wrong, he's he's good. He's got Initiative 5 Thunder Hammer, a Force Weapon. I simply think we're paying... T- I think GW's put too much value on the Initiative 5 Nemesis Hammer, I think. I think that's what lets this guy down. I think you're right. So, tell me about the formation. The Bulwark of Purity. Um, Pablo, I wouldn't even look at this one, to be honest. I think... Uh, <laughs> I, I think... Uh, whoa, I think whoa, whoa. the bonuses are... <laughs> inconsequential and i think the formation is far too points intensive <laughs> so so first off um so the bulwark of purity is, is a great Knights <laughs> formation it's uh you one librarian two units of paladins two units of Knight terminators so it's a very expensive formation um, it's a also, thousand points y- yes more or less yeah. yeah that librarian uh cannot be grandmaster voldis mostly because he's a grandmaster guys um but also it, it's just a generic great knights librarian um you can add one to your deny the witch results uh, when you have three or more units from this formation that are on the battlefield. Uh, that I think that needs an FAQ, uh, mostly because does it add one to all your deny the witch results? So are you denying your opponent's invisibilities on a five plus? Because then this formation would actually be kind of okay. Um, or does it only add one to your deny the witch results on units that are on witch fires that are being used on this? That are targeting you, yeah, that's yeah. right. It's not clear. So, so uh, how does that work? Because um, then you're denying things on like a two plus or a three plus because you have because you already have the Aegis, so you have um, the uh, adamantium will. Or I think I think Grey Knights get easy access to adamantium will. You're usually level yeah. two or level three psyker, um, so you're usually denying on a minimum of a four or a five plus, and then adding one more to it. Uh, Grey Knights don't really need bonuses to their deny the witch rules, um, so that, that's kind of an interesting FAQ. You're gonna say something, Dan? No, I think that even even if we uh, even if we took it as you can deny. You can cast this on any deny the wish test. You can add, sorry, the minus one to it. Yeah. Uh, you can add one, sorry. I think even then, the cost is so high. Oh yeah, it's it's. It, it, I think. <laughs> I, I mean, you're not. It's not. Not every army is using invisibility. You know, right. not every That's army true. is using these powers. Uh, so so not... unfortunately, <laughs> it's it's far too situational. And yeah. unfortunately, even in a casual game, uh, the restriction of formation, no dedicated transports. Oh yeah, that's true. Oh. I think um, they can deep uh, I think the granites can deep strike. That's they <laughs> they can deep strike, but maybe I want to put some terminators in a storm raven. You know, I think 
not being able to do that. I just, yeah, it, it is. It's brutal. Um, and then their final rule, Aura Purity, uh, basically makes the banishment discipline affect all of the models in the unit or all of the units in the formation. Um, so basically, if you get off, if one unit successfully gets the banishment power off, all the units basically have the banishment power, which is which is cool. So if you're playing demons, you're definitely going to mess them up um, because giving demons minus one invulns is huge usually. And then finally, I want to I want to look at one thing real quick, guys. There's actually two little fluff bits of rules here um, that I don't think we're going to see being used in tournaments. Um, one is the demonic adversaries. Uh, for the Grey Knights, for any Grey Knights army. And basically what this does is it buffs your opponent's army by making their army demons. And then you have to deal with create like basically a demonic incursion. It's it's really silly. Um, it gives their warlord like the demon special rule and a 3-up invuln save. Um, it can give them free units, gives them mastery levels. It's So it's kind of silly. So we're not going to talk about those. Oh, in the Pursuit of the Fallen, they're just fluff rules mostly. It but... sounds awful, Pablo. So if you're playing against Tal, uh, <laughs> are you saying potentially I could be fighting a, a demon Riptide with a with if a natural warlord, free yeah. So, so <laughs> yeah, so that's. Let me, just, <laughs> let me just give you. Let me just give you a quick rundown <laughs> of why we're not going to talk about those two things. Uh, the demonic possession rule is so if you choose to use the demonic adversaries, if you are a Grey Knights player. And you want your opponent to have some demons so you can take advantage of some of your cool Grey Knight powers because you're never... Because as a Grey Knight player, this is something all Grey Knight players have. They're like, oh, if you were a demon, I would destroy you. And then your Tau, your Tau player opponent is like, yeah, but I'm not. Go ahead and die. My Riptides are awesome. <laughs> but in all seriousness, it, it, lets, it makes, basically makes your opponent's Warlord a demon they gain the demon rule but they also get flesh bane armor bane and smash and they also get a three pin bone and that's just free just because you want to give your opponent's uh warlord you want to make him a demon so you want to kill him a little better um so this is it's just silly <laughs> anyway i think um i yeah. think if somebody uh if somebody wanted to use this against me uh i would gladly make my warlord a demon i, <laughs> I don't think there's any there's any problem with that so uh <laughs> What if, what if so it was why something not? funny? What if it was like a, a company platoon command squad and then every every member in the company platoon command squad had a 3-up invuln and flesh bane and armor bane. And armor bane and smash. So, <laughs> so, so all of a sudden... So, so, the, so they're wounding everyone on twos. And they're AP2. Um, at AP2, yeah. three armor bane. So, oh man. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think it would be quite fun. That would be, um, that'd be silly. Good luck. They would destroy a paladin squad they'd run into a paladin squad with all the last pistol and close combat weapons with like four or three attacks on the charge with commands so they i'm sure there's a command that gives them some sort of buff in close combat that no one ever uses um so they're running into a paladin squad with a ton of strength or armor bane flesh bane ap2 attacks and just wiping out paladins yeah all right so uh, moving on to reboot guillemin uh, the big, big, awesome part of this book. So now there's something it's, that we... This is what of, the book is about. This absolutely. is the only thing the book is about. A hundred percent. So there's there's something I wanted to highlight that we kind of glossed over in the last two members of the Triumvirate, um, which is there's no visual way to take him here in this book. So if you look at the Serastus Knight Lancer for the Forge World, um, the, the, that's the Forge World Knights. They all say 
these knights may be taken as a Lord of War option for, and then it lists some factions, and then it lists the Imperial Knights faction book, and that's it. And traditionally, that's actually Celestine, for example, and Call and Inquisitor Greyfikes. They all have specific rules that say that they can be taken in any armies of the Imperium combined arms. Uh, no, Pablo, there is there is a there is a small there is a small um, note at the beginning um, of the rules, page one one eight. Uh, it does say um, uh, Grandmaster Voldus and Rubute Gilliman, a new army list entries that can be included in the armies of the Imperium detachment. Regardless of their faction. Okay, so I actually did not read. We actually glossed over this. Oh, shame on me. Okay, so in this section you will find four formations. Where's uh, oh, you're talking about the very first, the very first paragraph. Data sheets. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Grandmaster Voldus and Rubokimin are new army list entries that can be included in any armies of the Imperium detachment, regardless of their faction. Okay, Cipher and the Fallen are a little more complex, and rules for including them in your army are found opposite. And then. Boom. So you can use so you can use Cipher and the Fallen as uh, can be selected as a part of a primary detachment of any armies of the Imperium or a primary detachment with the Chaos Space Marines faction. And then Cipher does not take up any slots from the detachment's force org chart. So okay, so that's kind of cool. So you can actually take Guillemin and a combined arms detachment if you want. Here's a here's an interesting um, uh, idea, Pablo. Now. I don't know if this could be done. Maybe we need to ask a question to oh, GW. I think I think I know where you're going. Go on, sorry. Uh, as you know, the Oath Sworn Imperial Knight Detachment one Lord is of War zero, zero to one Lord of War. So, seeing as Gilliman is a Lord of War, could and he be my zero to one option? Uh, so it's it it's one to three, detachment. isn't it? I apologize. It's, it's I, I one to it's, three. I think it's one to three. Um, yeah. So so could Gilliman be my one? Uh, Lord of War choice in uh, Ulf Sworn Night Attachment because it does specifically wow. say wow. any armies of the Imperium Detachment, any detachment. I think that, yeah, I think that you might actually be able to take him in an Oath Sworn Detachment per Raw. Let me just go back to this rule one more time. Dan, Dan has had this book a little longer than me. I actually just got this book this morning, um, which is Friday the 10th of March. Uh, Dan's had this book a little longer than me, so he's had more time to look through it. So, our new army list entries that can be included in any armies of the Imperium Detachment, regardless of their faction. I think that comment, regardless of their faction, is key there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then Rebok Yemen is a Lord of War option. So, so the next thing is, 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 does it say you can only take knights in that detachment? Um, I'm not sure on the I'm not sure on the wording to be honest, Pablo. I need to I haven't got the book to hand, okay. so we need to look it up. All right, so um, Dan, yeah, so this is what Dan's going to do for you guys. He's going to talk about Rebook Game and he's going to talk about the rules, and I'm going to get that Imperial Knight book because we actually have access to it. You take, go ahead. Take it away, Dan. I'll be right back. So the Primarch of the Ultramarines uh, has some some odd rules. Uh, it's funny that he was. They decided to make him a monstrous creature, which is the thing that stands out the most. Um, when the model and his toughness are comparable to uh, Belisarius Call, who's just an infantry character. Now, just just to put it flat out, I do think he is usable. I do think he can be competitive, uh, but I think it might be difficult to make him so. Uh, 
right off the bat, he has very similar rules to uh, Magnus. He comes with standard adamantium will, uh, eternal warrior, fearless, feel no pain, fleet, uh, precision shot and strike, and uh, preferred enemy chaos, which could come in handy. Uh, his stat line is sixes across the board, uh, with weapon skill nine, that stands out, uh, leadership ten and a two plus save. And his armor grants him a free up invul, which is good. Um, and if slain on a roll of a four, he comes back to life. Now this one's um, this one's funny because there's no limitation to how many times he can come back. So if you um, well, it doesn't specify anyway. So if he was slain twice, as long as the game doesn't end, and you roll a four plus, he would come back to life uh, with d3 wounds. Which could uh, which could win you the game, uh, but it's not a guarantee. Uh, Three hundred and fifty points for the Primarch is very, very competitive, uh, and I think that in a typical Ultramarine army, for the same price as Magnus, you could bring in Rubut Gilliman and a Librarius Conclave, which could unlock some more options, uh, which are beyond just. Um, Beyond just being able to spam psychic powers. Okay, I'm back. Oh, welcome back. Okay, so what did we what did we cover? What did we not cover? Sorry, I've just covered his basic special rules. I've covered his armor, and I've covered his point cost. Okay. Um, did you say he has precision shots and precision strikes? Yes, I was going to move on to that uh, in more detail. That's actually very key uh, with the rule of his uh, sword, the Emperor's sword. Uh, in particular, a, a rule called the Touch of the Emperor. Uh, any attack with this weapon on a to-hit roll of six is resolved at strength D instead of strength 10. Yes. So that means that any precision strike is a D strike. That's that's a very, very good rule for sniping characters in units. It's, um, uh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, actually, it's actually really good just for sniping anything. In general, if you can stick a D shot on like a grav cannon marine, um, or oh, absolutely, yeah. uh, wolf stars on a priest, um, where ba- basically the the good thing the the reason why this is so critical, especially for dealing with death stars, isn't because um, you can stick it on a character, it's because you can stick it on any model in the unit, um, and then why this gets important is. Because especially with Wolf Stars, you tend to have characters that are right next to each other, where the closest model to a specific character is another character. So if you drop a D shot on, for example, any librarian, uh, and the closest model next to the a librarian you targeted is another librarian, that means they can only look out, sir, to one model, and you have to you have basically giving them a hard choice. And that's the beauty behind this rule is you can you if you start measuring your opponent's models and your opponents are not careful with their spacing. You could you can wipe out characters and give your opponents zero choices. You can kill warlords easily. And the other cool thing is, is if you roll multiple sixes and they do, they are careful about their spacing. You can take out the chaff units in between characters too. So you it's giving them no choice. You could be like, okay, this wolf, this wolf is taking a D hit. Um, oh, it died. Okay, now this librarian is taking the next D hit. Oh, the wolf that was gonna look out, sir, to it. Sorry, he's dead. Now you got to look out, sir, to your warlord, or kill the librarian. Absolutely. Uh, Gilliman is, uh, he is so good in close combat. He is, he is actually capable of taking on a Death Star by, by himself. himself. 
Yes. If you do the maths, it will take uh, in close combat. It will take twenty-one AP two hits, uh, AP two wounds. Sorry, to actually put him down, on average. So, which is, which is more than a Grav Centurion squad or a Space Marine Grav Cannon squad can deal. Ab- absolutely, and uh, keep in mind that he has weapon skill nine. So, if you did get him into combat with a Death Star, which is focused on close combat, like a like a Wolf Star, for example. Uh, most of the models in the unit will be hitting on on fives uh, because of his high weapon skill. Right. Obviously, the chapter masters or the or the or the uh, wolf priests won't be. Uh, but again, it will take twenty one wounds at AP two for him to actually suffer enough damage to go down. It's huge. And the yeah, it's, that, it's absolutely massive. Yeah, he's two uh, six two. So two six, yeah. yeah. So. And this is before any kind of any kind of buffs. I mean, uh, I mentioned before you came back, Pablo, that uh, he's comparable to Magnus in terms of his basic special rules and his uh, stat line. Uh, but for the for the price of uh, for the price of Magnus, you could take Gilliman and a full li- and a free man Librarius Conclave featuring Tigarius. Oh wow, that's no, that's huge. That means you can buff him. I mean, even if you give Gilliman um, invisibility. Uh, give him his ability to reroll saves. Um, you can teleport him. You can give him plus one toughness. If you gave him invisibility and threw him into a bark star or a wolf star, they will not be able to put him down for the entire game. No. And he would he would be able to lock down. He can literally lock down a sixteen hundred point death star uh, just by himself with invisibility, which is. Which is absolutely massive because they simply can't they can't do enough wounds to get through them. And if they did again, you've got a you've got a good chance of coming back to life. It's it's very very strong. Yeah. Um. So moving on uh, from Gaiman, there's a lot more. There's a there's a lot of rules to him. Uh. He his warlord trait. Have we talked about his. Have you talked about his warlord trait yet? No. This is absolutely massive. I haven't even mentioned this. Uh, an entirely different way of playing him, as opposed to a, a close combat beat stick, is is a support character to a gun line, um, which which is absolutely massive. So so his warlord trait is, is he has all of the command traits from the 40k basic rulebook. Um, in in short, this gives him all units within 12 inches of him the uh, ability to use his leadership. Enemy units have to use their lowest leadership value. You get to add one to your run and your charge moves. You get to reroll ones in close combat. You get to reroll ones in the shooting phase. And I believe the last one is stubborn or reroll failed morale and pinning checks, um, which he already does anyways for all armies of the Imperium models. Yeah, yeah. And to mention, that's for all units within 12, isn't it? Yes, Uh, all units within 12. Yeah, so it's units within 12. So... And, and think about that. The enemy has to use the lowest leadership test. Now combine that with multiple psychic shrieks. Mm, okay, so even if, even if, for example, that wolf star, you're using the wolf's leadership. Um, and then if you debuff their leadership somehow with fear, because if you're rolling in telepathy anyways, you're probably going to get fear. Um, so you can give them minus one leadership, and then all of a sudden you're they're taking psychic shriek text, tests on fives. Right? So you're, you're wiping right, out yeah. unit. You're wiping out models. Um, so that's, that's huge. That's all really good. Um... I think he's better off in a non ultramarines detachment. Uh, that's because... that's the irony of that's yeah. the irony of the of the uh, primarch of the ultramarines. Right, I think right. uh, 
I think a, a hyper-efficient army of, uh, of multiple cheap units or a shooting army uh, would benefit from Gilliman's general rules a lot more. Yes. Um, that's not to say that he wouldn't work with ultramarines. Like I mentioned, uh, taking a Librarius Conclave uh, would be enough to ensure Gilliman can get into combat quickly. Uh, under ITC rules, we obviously we can't use the Soul Switch power or the Moving Terrain. But you can but you use could the still... Soul Switch power. Um, you just can't uh, charge. You can't charge from it. Sorry, yeah, you can't charge from. Sorry, I, I apologize. Right. Um, so it's not it's not really necessary uh, to try and fish for that power. Uh, you can just move him 18 inches forward. He then runs plus one fleet. Uh, he could he could easily move 28 inches forward on turn one, um, throw invisibility at him, and uh, the op- the opponent has a tough choice to make. Uh, do they shoot a Gilliman, expend a lot of dice? Uh, and leave the rest of your army to claim objectives or to fire back? Or do they ignore him? In which case, the following turn, he will he will be able to charge. Yeah. Um, no, it, it's it's actually cool, and we'll talk about that a little more when we talk about lists, because I do have some list ideas with Guillemin um, that specifically revolves around threat saturation. And what threat saturation is, is you shove a bunch of threats down your opponent's throat, that they have to deal with. Um, it applies pressure. It could be shooting threats. It can be most likely that's close, com- close combat threats. Um, but if you shove more threats than your opponent can handle, and every single one of them is game-breaking for your opponent, one of them will get through and cause damage, which is which is the threat overload. Um, it's, it's a very common strategy in war, in, in games like chess and magic, uh, war games. I imagine it's a very common thing. So, and Gaiman can help with that because because he's an efficient beat stick. Uh, he's pretty durable. He's not the most durable, but he's he's fairly durable. And he buffs all the units around him, making them bigger threats. So he is a threat, and he makes other units threats that wouldn't normally be threats. So he so he's cool. So he's a he's a great he's a great all around model. And I think he's actually he's not strong. He's not Magnus strong. Uh, Magnus in terms of raw power killing things, removing things from the board, versatility. I think Magnus is still a little better. Even We if... saw it at the Las Vegas Open. Right. There was multiple lists with Magnus in the top eight. Yeah. I think uh, yeah. I think with the correct psychic dice pool, Magnus is the best single unit in the game, and Absolutely. that's that's questionable. Uh, but Guillemin is a better uh, buff. A buff... Um, a force multiplier. He's a better force multiplier than Magnus, but easily. Um, so, you know, so you have to build a list around because he's a better force multiplier than Magnus. You actually have to build a list around Gaiman. Whereas Magnus, you do have to kind of build a list around Magnus's strengths and weaknesses, but you can also just bring Magnus and he'll, he'll do work by himself. Oh, I mean, Magnus is amazing. Uh, if you just, if you just give him some more psychic dice, he'll be casting deep powers and summoning units every, every game turn. I mean, uh, he's, Magnus is expensive, but he is unquestionably the best single character unit in the game. So absolutely. That goes um, without saying. So we're going to move on to the Triumvirate of the Primarch. Um, now, you, I know that you guys are going to overlook this, um, but I actually think it is the best Triumvirate formation out of all the Triumvirate formations. Um, so all of the Triumvirate formations are basically the three models, the Triumvirate in the box that come with it. They all are taken in that formation, and then they kind of get a special rule that's kind of cute. And they usually get like a leadership uh, a leadership special rule, some, some special rule that focuses around their leadership. In this case... All three models are touched by fate, so they can reroll one failed saving throw each turn for each model from this formation. 
Uh, and then all friendly units with armies of the Imperium faction have the stubborn special rule while they are all on the battlefield, which is actually pretty cool. Uh, so it's not a leadership bubble or anything. They just have to be on the battlefield and all your armies of the Imperium units get stubborn, which is, as Dark Angels battle companies can attest, is pretty bad. It's pretty good. It's it's not bad. But the reason why... No, it's great. It's great. It. Really good. Uh, it's the most expensive one, but it's got the best actual special rules. Yes. Uh, and then the reroll one failed saving throw a turn for each model is insane. Um, and then no, I'll, it's massive. I'll get more into that with my lists uh, that I have I have planned out for him. Uh, Dan did just blow my mind. Oh, speaking of which, uh, we'll get to the Oathsworn detachment in a second. Um, but Dan did just blow my mind with the new ways to take the Guillemin because I I was under the impression that you would only be able to take them in the Triumvirate or the Ultramarines formation in the future. Um, so, so that's kind of cool that you can take Voldis in any detachment or Cypher in any detachment. Actually, I think Cypher has his own rules, but you can take Voldis or Guillem in, in any of the armies. Of yeah, the Cy Cypher has to be in the formation, but but Voldis and Gilliman, I believe, uh, you can just uh, you can just take them. Right. Um. So I actually have a new list brewing in my head. But on to the Oathsworn <laughs> detachment. So, um, the the rule says that they may be taken regard regardless of faction, right? In any Imperium detachment so the oathsworn detachment specifically says as a restriction all units in this detachment this detachment must have the imperial knights faction um it's it's a little a teensy bit contentious but i think it's still pretty clear that you can't take him into the oathsworn detachment for imperial if that's knights. the wording i, I would agree it, that you yeah, can't the, the wording is all units in this detachment must have the imperial knights faction um so though you could take him theoretically um he is not an imperial knights faction model he is a Space Marines faction model, which means you cannot take him. So, so you try to take him. You're like, hey, Magnus or uh, a Gaiman is like, hey, I can, I can hang out with you guys. And the knights are like, nah, bro, you're not a knight. And then Gaiman smashes him with his D sword because that's what he does. He's not a knight. He could probably defeat three knights in combat simultaneously. Okay, his, um... his sword has armor <laughs> bane. <laughs> yes, it's strength uh, ten, AP one, armor bane. You're hitting on threes, rerolling ones. <laughs> you, you're uh, you're penning them. They're they're dead. Add initiative six with six attacks. He could probably kill three knights in a row or in one combat, because you can characters can split their attacks between multiple units. Um, you just have to decide beforehand before you, before you actually hit rolls are made. So he could just put two attacks into each knight and then do two explode results on each knight. And two knights, I'd be confident. Three, maybe a bit trickier. See, I, I would, I would put my faith in in the the new emperor, the Primarch. Um, there's some some quick little, not not fluff spoilers. I think it's pretty obvious that that he's he's trying to be the new leader of the Imperium, the a pseudo emperor, if you will. Which is, if you've read Unremembered Empire, is extremely funny, um, because the entire premise of the Unremembered Empire book is that he's not trying to be the leader of a new imperium but everyone assumes he is and so it's it's kind of anyways that's just um ultramarines fluff getting sidetracked it's uh it's because um during those turbulent times of the heresy everyone is looking for any any small sign that there might be corruption or evil right. behind behind the acts so so he got a he got a bit of flack for the uh, unremembered empire so to speak right uh but it literally was a contingency plan for the for the should the Imperium fall, there was a backup, um, and that's all it ever was. Yeah, and, and, and he wasn't even going to be the the leader of this 
of this new imperium if the emperor had fallen he was actually going to make sanguinis the leader um yeah absolutely yeah. right but a- anyways it's sidetrack so so i'm moving on to the vitrix guard formation formation now the, the fluff behind this formation is super cool i kind of want to take a step uh towards that real quick just because i really like it um basically guillemin handpicked space marines and made him his personal bodyguard he's like you guys are all super cool and i'm gonna take you guys now why he picked kato Sicarius, i will i will never know um because out of all the ultramarines characters i've ever read about Kato Sicarius is my least favorite by a mile. But why he picked him, I don't know. It's probably his crazy plot armor. Um, and Guillemin is so powerful, he sees through the fourth wall and realizes Kato Sicarius' plot armor is so strong that I would have to have him in my personal guard because he will never die. I no will... matter what happens, <laughs> Kato Sicarius will survive. He, right. could be, he could be jettisoned from a spaceship traveling in the warp and he will somehow come back yes. and he will be okay yeah Ka- yes kato Sicarius could kill lucius the eternal um and, and dance not change on his yeah. grave <laughs> and then not change um so gaiman recognizing that clear the kato Sicarius pick is clear to me now um, but it wasn't clear at first so anyways it is uh obviously as you might have guessed it's captain Sicarius, uh one unit of honor guard and four units in any combination of stern guard or vanguard veterans now, it's cool because they all get to fight at weapon skill and ballistic skill 5, um, which is pretty cool, all the units in this formation. And they actually get to make lookout sword rolls if they're within 3 inches of Guillemin. Um, so that kind of gives Guillemin so a little bit of protection. Um, and it's a cool little fluffy roll because, you know, they are his personal hand-picked guard. Uh, now, there's two downsides to this. The first downside is it, it's extremely expensive. That's the obvious one. And the other it's one, about 700 points, yeah, right. basic. Oh, yeah. It's, it's 110 points for a Stern Guard squad, and you got to take four of them. And then Kato Sicarius is another 185, plus the Honor Guard, which are 85 points. Um, so you're looking at a minimum of, like, six, like you said, 700 points. But the restriction is the worst. You may not take dedicated transports or begin the battle embarked on a transport if you are in this formation. Um, that's huge because, you know, uh, Stern Guard need need kind of knee transports to work um i've tried walking stern guard lists and it is the worst they are the worst lists it, you it can't ever play they can't work it's so up. bad um, it's the worst it's it's such a shame it's such a shame because you know what our sicarius and honor guard attacks fine whatever they can literally be the wounds for for Gilliman, fine right um but uh if you could drop pod these ballistic skill five stern guard uh Combi melters, combi grav, combi whatever. I think oh, it could have been. It could have been good. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Um, now there is some. So there's two ways. There's two. I think viable ways to run this formation if you are set on running it. Um, the first is stern guard can take two heavy weapons squad. Uh, two heavy weapon uh, options each. So you can make the stern guard kind of pseudo devastator squads, give them las cannons, uh, maybe not multi melters. I think you want to stick to longer range guns, plasma cannons if if you're feeling really feisty, missile launchers, um, and then you can surround Gaiman with all these stern guard squads. He's giving them all essentially ballistic equivalent of ballistic skill um, eight because you're you're wounding on twos, re-rolling ones, plus your doctrine. Um, so, so he he's basically buffing them that way, so they're super super efficient, uh, shooting wise, and then when you get in within that twenty four inch range, they'll start 
blowing you up with stern guard runs. So I could maybe see that um, as a kind of weird stern guard gun line formation that kind of moves at your opponent's uh, middle of the basically the middle of the board. And if you get anywhere near it with a Death Star game, it'll just run up to you and start smashing your face in. Um, so I could kind of see that. And it would also be kind of cool if you took a Librarius Conclave with that and then tried the roll for the Geomancy power that lets you ignore cover or ignore line of sight. Um, so your Stern Guard will become a little more efficient in that way. Um, but anyways, that's that's one th way you, I think you could run this formation. And then the other way is, and I think it's the worst way, is with Vanguard Veterans Deep Striking down because they can Deep Strike. Um, you get access to Servo Skulls, your Imperium, your Armies of the Imperium. Um, so I, that might be kind of cool if you kind of want if you want Gaiman to be more aggressive, because the the Vanguard veterans will will kind of like meet him halfway there and provide lookout sir attempts. So it gives him some some survivability as he's moving across the dangerous forty eight inches to get to your opponent. Um, but you know it's still it's not the it's not the most optimal. I think the the Stern Guard gun line I think is the best way to run this formation personally. Uh, Dan, have you have you taken any thought to this formation? Uh, no, I think I agree with the gunline idea. I also think you could take a CAD uh, and just take some fast attack dedicated transports, walk him into them turn one um, for the stone guard, maybe to get him into better positions. Uh, but no, I think I think the lookout sir bonus is fine. Remember, he's not an independent character, so it's on a four up. Yes. Oh, so you're right. Okay. Yeah, so it's only so it's only half the time you even make that lookout, sir. And I just think the cost is too high. It's too inefficient. Yeah, I agree. Um, it'll be a, it's it's more for a fluffier list. I know I'm going to try and use it uh, at least oh, once. Uh, you could <laughs> in a in a fun, in a fun game. This this could be great. I mean, imagine this in a Zone Mortalis game, for example. Oh, that'd be <laughs> awesome. This could this could be unbelievable oh, in, in that kind of scenario. Yeah, meeting Guillaume um, on a warship. It's just you and him. And in a tight yeah. course, you're dead. Anyway, that that does sound like a lot of fun. Um, I also have about 60 fully painted Sterngarn models just staring <laughs> at me with with puppy dog eyes because I never use them anymore. Um, so I think that'd be kind of cool to bust them out. All right, so moving on to the Warlord traits table, we're gonna go over this very quickly. Uh, warlord trait number one is uh, all friendly units within 12 inches of your Warlord that our armies of the Imperium must reroll failed morale, pinning and tests and fear tests. That's okay. It's not the best. Two is your warlord has the counterattack special rule. No, that's all right. Um, your warlord has a preferred enemy is three, uh, four, which is the big one. It's not, it's, it's not the best one, um, but it's the big one. The one that everyone will focus on Four is you can add four to any roll to seize the initiative. So you're seizing the initiative on a two plus. Uh, if you take Kodias, you're seizing uh, the initiative on a rerollable two plus. And Space Marines are historically one of the best uh, factions at going first. They always consistently kind of want to go first because they're so good at alpha striking. And if you don't know what alpha striking is, um, you can go to my very first episode of Chapter Tactics. I have the link to all of my episodes of Chapter Tactics in the FrontlineGaming.org blog. So if you want to listen to that, that's kind of cool. There's some alpha strike ta tactics there. Um so that's cool. If you roll up that warlord trait, that that could come in handy. Um, but the problem is, is you have to roll for it. Uh, so yeah, it's not, Pablo. It's not um, I think I think we need to I think we need to ask the question of GW because um, Manus Kalgar, one of his rules is he gets to pick his warlord traits from the Space Marine selection. Now, common sense would suggest that he will be able to pick his warlord trait from the Ultramarine selection 
seeing his he is the ultramarine chapter master i don't know i i, th- uh, I don't like to assume that kind of stuff um i think mm-hmm. i think calgar is very specific i've read it i've read through his data slate a ton of times i think it's extremely specific that it says you can you could pick warlord traits from this page in this book and here's the page right here um, yeah. The warlord traits for the forces of the ultramarines is when generating their warlord traits, an ultramarine's warlord may choose to roll on the table below instead of those found in Warhammer 40,000, the rules, or Codex Space Marines. So one could make the argument that Kalgar is, he is instead of rolling, he gets to choose. Um, and then because he when he's generating his warlord trait, he gets to choose whichever warlord trait he rolls. Or mm, it's a stretch, you're right. So, so, so I could see that connection there. Just he gets to choose a warlord trait, or he when he's generating a warlord trait, he chooses to generate on this table instead of the other table because of this rule, and then because of the next part of his rule, he gets to pick it instead of rolling to generate. So I don't, I don't know. I think that's a GW FAQ waiting to happen. Um, five is master of tactics. As long as your warlord is alive, you can discard an active tactical objective. If you do so, you can generate a new tactical objective. Reroll this result if you are not playing a mission with a tactical objective special rule. For those of you scratching your head, um, mostly those of you who play ITC uh, or not 40k casually, a tactical objective are those little cards that you get in Maelstrom. Um, usually you discard them because it's usually something silly like destroy an enemy's fortification. Um, but that's what a tactical objective is too. And this is actually the coolest Whirler trait on this table because... Uh, because you can actually, you actually have one less, uh, you have one less option because it says you reroll this result if you roll this if you're not playing with the tackle objective special rule. So it, it gives you a little bit better chance at getting one of the cool warlord traits. And the last cool warlord trait, which I think is the best one, is six. Your warlord and friendly units within six inches of him have the split fire special rule. This is huge. With, with yeah, very good. Uh, if you stick your warlord in a drop pod with, uh, with just hanging out and then with a sky hammer you can drop that sky hammer all around your warlord with pinpoint accuracy if you have servo skulls um not only do your devastator squads maxed out split but you can also then uh split fire them again so if you have uh if you're coming down with eight grav cannons in in uh devastator doctrines with your warlord you could potentially fire a single grav cannon at eight different units that's immobilize an entire army that's turn huge. one yeah that is Massive. insane that not only that you do that multi-meltas you can split fire four individual multi-meltas four individual grav cannons so you can pop a vehicle kill it with grav pop a vehicle kill kill them with grav you know it's it's insane it's it's crazy it's actually very good I, I i overlooked it but then as soon as i saw it i realized wow this so if you can actually take calgar that's something that's a good threat overload list um because if you stick calgar in a drop pod you can't have him in terminator armor um but, or you shouldn't have them in Charmian Armor. Um, you can stick Calgar in a drop pod with uh, Librarius Conclave, attach them to a command squad, give that command squad five Melta Guns or five Flamers, whatever special weapon you want. Um, I would like Flamers because... Uh, actually, no, never mind. Um, so five Melta Guns, five Flamers, whatever you want. And then they also get to split fire. So they get to split fire a Melta Gun or they can split fire Calgar's Orbital Bombardment. Hey, 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 he's got an Orbital Bombardment. Um... That's, it's just it's really solid it's just really good uh, if you stick him in a tactical squad and then use the tactical doctrine he can re-roll his orbital bombardment um that's huge that's that's a big deal um so i think that's clearly the best one in my opinion um but because of five because of master of tactics you get to re-roll that result whenever you're not using tactical objectives 
uh, you get a better chance of getting four and six. It's one of the few times when you can uh, you can re-roll a re-roll. Right. The, the rules say you can never do it, but you can in this case because yes. if you have a combined arms detachment and you get to re-roll your trait as one of the rules, you land on five, you get to re-roll that again. Yeah, and the the other cool thing about that is um, if with geomancy for the ITC because the ITC ban specifically bans the the uh, power that lets you move terrain. The geomancy, the powers that are good in the geomancy book, other than that power have gotten a lot better because the chances of rolling them are higher. So, so that, that's just kind of cool. A little, a little tech there. Um, so basically, uh, moving on to the relics of Ultramar, um, Dan, you've been talking about these, you said that they're your favorite part of the book. Um, I'm not one personally, of, yeah. I'm not per one of them court other than Guillemin. Um, I'm not personally <laughs> a big fan of any of them, though. I do have a question about one, um, that I think one. GW could ask, answer an FAQ on. So go ahead and take it away. Okay. So, I like, so it says that you can take these relics, um, and you can also take relics from the original codex as well, so you can mix and match. Uh, and what I like here is you could make, uh, you could make two Eternal Warrior characters. Um, you can, uh, uh, what is it, uh, what is you can get, one sec, um, yes, yeah, so you can make two Eternal Warrior characters, and I like the, the Helm of Censure. Which is uh, which is a relic that gives uh, the your character your warlord whoever's carrying the relic sorry uh, preferred enemy I think that's quite good. It's thirty points. It's a little expensive, but that's that's not bad. I think I think it's okay. I think um, I think with the, I think in a close combat unit, for example, that could work. That could be quite good. Um, but the Terentian cloak I think is uh, is superior to the shield eternal because you could give a chapter master a storm shield, and then give him this relic. And he would have a two-up, three-up Eternal Warrior, and it will not die. Yes, that's really for the good. same price. Um, for it's actually five points cheaper than the Shield Eternal, because um, that's fifty points. But you are missing out on the Adamantium Will special rule, which is whatever. That's not the end you of the are, world. but that's again that's situational. It's not going to come into play as often as it might come into play. It may never come into play, uh, but it will not die over six turns. Yeah, I'll I'll bring a wound back. Yeah, I'll take that. Any anyone would take that. That's that's turning your Ultramarines character into an Iron Hands beat stick chapter master minus Pretty the much, yeah. pain. That's not bad. Um, so that's cool. One thing I do have a question about. So the standard of McCrag in Violet. I um, don't think it's worth looking at. <laughs> no. So so hear me out. First, I think it's actually the only one worth looking at for me personally. Um, wow, it's okay. sixty points. Um, you. Uh, your unit gets plus one the unit that the bearer is in gets plus one attack while the bearer is alive um and then uh if an infantry model within six inches of the standard is killed on a five plus they can make an out of sequence shooting attack um or or uh a pile in as if it was they were in close combat which is that's that's okay that's whatever the plus one attack is really what i'm looking at here also the adding one to their leadership characteristic that's kind of cool but the reason why I'm looking at the plus one attack is because over here on the previous page, Relics of Ultramar, units and Ultramarines attachments that can take items from the chapter chapter relics list in Codex Space Marines can choose to take items from the Relics of Ultramar list on this page, page 133, instead at the point cost shown. So you can't take items from both lists and attachment. And then it says in addition, which means we're not we're not excluding any units. So in addition to these units, one unit of honor guard can choose to take the standard of McCracken Violet at the points cost shown instead of taking an item from the Space Marine standards list. So the reason why this is important 
is because the Space Marine Standards list specifically lists what units can and can't take the Space Marine Standards, like the Standard of the Emperor Ascendant in the Space Marine book, but this book doesn't have something like that. So you can you take the Standard of McCracken Violet on, for example, a Librarian? So could you take a Librarius Conclave, stick the Standard of McCracken in Violet on a Librarian, and then give like a Wolf Star plus one attacks? You see, this is why this is why I dismissed it because um, I assume that you can only take it on somebody who can take standards. Right, but it doesn't actually say that. It's a. You're right. It doesn't say that. The wording is different. Uh, it's it's missing that bit. Right. Um, so, so raw, I think you can. Um, I think rules is intended. I think maybe you could argue against it. But then again, the whole point mm. of this this book is that Gaiman is taking his like his chosen picked few, um, and basically like you know taking them with him on his, on some crazy crusade is kind of the vibe i'm getting um so i i don't know it, it's kind of it's kind of interesting uh I, I think that i think it needs an faq personally um but raw i think it's pretty clear that you can per just my personal two cents mm. uh all right on to finally the vitrix victrix strike force detachment uh, i'm gonna go over this very quickly because we're running out of time here uh so uh we're going to go over the uh, command benefits first. You can choose to enact one of the ultramarine doctrine, each of the ultramarine doctrines, an additional time. Um, so, for those of you who are counting, if you have Gimen in this detachment plus ultramarines plus the command benefits, that is nine doctrines. Uh, if you take Kalgar, that is ten. If you take a battle demi company, that's eleven. It's already a lot. It's it's a ton of doctrines. Um, you also can, in addition, you can use multiple doctrines in a single turn which is kind of finally they've given you t something to do with all the extra doctrines so you're not playing into doctrines through two games instead of one um you know because like if you go in your second game you're like well i still have three assault doctrines left from my last game so i'm going to go and pop some now um even though you do get a new set of doctrines just a little joke uh, so in addition you can choose to enact any combination of devastator tactical or assault doctrine in any of your turns subject to the normal number of times you were able to use each doctrine um, so that's kind of cool. You can pretty much always have tactical doctrines if you math it out, uh, because you get three or you get four tactical doctrines: one from the battle demi company and three from the from the uh, normal normally. And then you can combine the assault doctrine and the devastator doctrine, and kind of make them a pseudo tactical doctrine. If gives... Skyhammer was one of the auxiliary uh, formations in the Victrix Strike Force attachment. And you could you could call assault and devastator doctrine on the turn the skyhammer drops. I think it will be absolutely phenomenal. Um, now remember, but the actual go ahead. Go on, sorry. Oh, now remember when you enact the perfect doctrine, Rebote Guillemin's doctrine, or the Ultramarines doctrine, it says all Ultramarines models in your army are affected. The only ones that it doesn't affect are the Battle Demi Company, which specifically says only the models in the Battle Demi Company are affected. So your Skyhammer still benefits from all these doctrines. So you can See, that is good. As an independent formation, just separately by itself. Yes, that is good. And I think um, I think rerolling all hits on the assault marines turn they turn they charge. I think that's I think that's good. Yeah. It ma it makes it it makes it even more punishing. Yes. The yeah the the assault. I think a, a lot of people like using Ultramarine's doctrine for the Skyhammer simply because of the fact that you get those rerolls and you get to be a little bit more efficient and usually the skyhammer marines die after they come down 
Um, so you don't need any of the other doctrines. Maybe salamanders, um, but iron hands don't, doesn't really come into play. Uh, you don't usually get to hit and run because you're dead before you get a chance to hit and run with white scars. So white, uh, I've seen personally, I've seen ultramarines as the go-to doctrine of choice for skyhammer. So this is just makes it a little bit better. <clears throat> they also all non-vehicle units have the objective secured special role in the stat attachment, which is huge. Objective secured is a big deal. I know it's all non-vehicles. Um, which shows that GW kind of learned their lesson a little bit with the Battle Company. Um, as you've seen, minus Celestine, who gets free, uh, <coughs> excuse me, free Battle Sisters, or uh, free Seraphim. There's not a lot of free stuff in either of the Triumvirate books. <coughs> and then finally, you can uh, re-roll the result on the Warlord Traits table if your Warlord is in this army. Not bad. Yeah. So yeah, I um I quite like Victrix Strike Force. I just think it's simply inferior to the double dummy company of, oh, yeah. um, of the original book. I think I think that's the biggest downside. Um, what they could have done, they could have given the Ultramarines access to some of the new um, formations that became available in Ages of Death. Uh, they haven't done that. So basically, the auxiliary choices are literally the options from the Codex Space Marines. Um, that's that's all you basically have. Yeah. Um, the only, the biggest, the the biggest change, the biggest advantage to using Victrix, is that if you take Gilliman as Strike Force Command in this detachment, uh, he has objective secured. That's kind of cool. Uh, and then that's, the, yeah, you never. That's, yeah, that's the biggest. That's the biggest. That's the biggest kind of gimmick to it. We can say. Yeah. Um, you are rarely ever going to take the... There's two core choices, the Battle Demi Company and the Strike Force Ultra. I think you're never going to take the Strike Force Ultra. No, it's too rarely. expensive. It's, it's really expensive. It's a ton of Terminators and a Land Raider. Um, plus, if you bring the Strike Force Ultra, you'll also want to bring, like, Guillemin, because that's the whole point to bring in this detachment is that you get access to the Vitrix Guard and Guillemin. Um, you know, so... It's 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 overall it's a very underwhelming detachment and I I don't even see it being used even in fringe casual games that are trying to be fluffy, honestly. Um, that's just the way this is the way I see it. <clears throat> because with Gaiman and the Ultramarines Doctrine, you already have six doctrines, uh, so that boosts Skyhammer alone. So you don't need the nine really. So, anyways, unfortunate. It's unfortunate. And then, that's it. That's the end of the book. All right, on to lists. Uh, Dan, I have three list ideas. You go ahead. You list yours. Okay. Um, so the first list, uh, this is the more casual list that I had thought of. And it, it, it doesn't use the Vitrix guard formation, but does use the idea I talked about in terms of the gun line. I think Giamon would go really strongly in an Ultramarine's attachment that had uh, Thunderfire cannons, maybe quad guns from Forge World. Um, oh, quad mortars, yeah. Yeah, quad mortars, devastator squads. You can even mix up their the heavy weapons and devastator squads. You can give them las cannons finally, um, and he just sits in the middle of all these marines. Uh, you take a battle company because obviously you probably should. Um, you take a battle company, you take a combined arms detachment with Gaiman in it as the Lord of War choice, and then you that's where you include all your thunderfire cannons and extra stuff as well. Um, and then I know it's really expensive. But I'm sure you can kind of finagle it in there, and that that's you have a gun line, you have a space spring gun line, like a, a true space spring gun line. You can even throw an Aegis defense line in there to give some of your space marines some extra survivability. And Gaiman gives them all extra doctrines. He gives them all reroll ones, even when the doctrines run out. 
and he gives the doctrines to the quad mortars, which is pretty cool. Um, so I, I just I think that for me I think that kind of list is it's a really fluffy list. Um, Gimmin provides a close combat element that a lot of Space Marine units, or Space Marine um, players that don't want to run Death Stars lack. Uh, because if you don't run a Space Marine Death Star, Space Marines are actually really bad at close combat, which is hilarious because because they're supposed to be like the challenge close combat gurus of the of the galaxy. But orcs, chaos. Chaos Demons and Chaos Space Marines, uh, and I think even Eldark with Wraith Knights do it better, just in a single like unit or single model basis. Um, so Guillemin provides casual players or players that don't want to run Death Stars uh, a beat stick model that can match up to all the other beat stick models in close combat, finally. Um, you can't take um... the Chapter Master, but I, I, think, I think even he falls short of Guillemin. And I think a lot of people don't like running him fluff-wise either because they're chapter masters. So, anyways, go on, Dan. I think um, what you could compare Gilliman to is an Imperial Knight. Yes. What he... His da- he's about the same point cost. He actually hits a lot harder. And he's more survivable, but he's slower. Um what benefit he does have is that he can be influenced by psychic powers more easily than an Imperial Knight. He can be moved around using the electromancy, um, sorry, the formation powers, for example. Yes. Whereas an Imperial Knight couldn't. Um, and the way, one list idea that I had would be some some really, really strong Alpha Strike list built around the Skyhammer and a combined arms attachment. And what I would do is I would literally start Gilliman as the only unit on the board. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and I would hide him out of line of sight. The list would be made up of, obviously, your typical Skyhammer. Uh, the cat would be Tigarius, Centurions, um, obviously with Grav, uh, in a pod. And there would be two tactical squads in pods. Uh, and what I would do is I would drop, obviously, the five drop pods, turn one or turn two. Gilliman would walk out of cover. I would use Electro Displacement to move Tigarians and Centurions back a bit. They don't need to be that close. And the opponent would have a choice. Uh, they would either choose to wipe out or start shooting at the Skyhammer forces after enduring a turn of firepower, or they would have to focus on Gilliman. Either way, <laughs> either way, turn one or turn two, you would have in your deployment zone five drop pods, uh, Graf Centurions, two squads of Devastators, two squads of Assault Marines, one additional tactical squad that will come in turn one automatic, uh, uh, and, and Gilliman. And an angry Primarch. I, I like and it. an angry Primarch. I, I do like the threat saturation. You, I mean, you could even, you could even uh, drop points from... Um, you could even try and drop points from uh, the tactical squads. Uh, no upgrades. Bring in some more librarians. Fish for invisibility. And you could have an invisible Primarch in your deployment zone on turn one. <laughs> uh, alongside, obviously, all the Grav, all the, all the Marines. And I do think that can work. I do think that this is a list that could do a lot of damage turn one. And once Gilliman charges, unless you're the most invincible Death Star would hit and run, he will do significant damage in close combat. I agree, Dan. That sounds like a really fun alpha strike list. Uh, a little more hardcore, a little more hardcore fluff-wise, 
than um, the gunline list I proposed, but they're both still really good lists. Um, mm. Now, this is this is a list I've been working on since I found out about his rules, and I was under the assumption that you could not use them in a combined arms attachment when I made this list. But this is the now uh, this list is not for the faint of heart. Um, this is a cheesy competitive list that I would not run against players who are just trying to have some fun with their ultramarines. Um, but it's uh, the triumvirate of the Primarch. 40-ish, maybe, maybe, I, I think, I'm going to stick with 40. 40 Fenrisian Wolves and a maxed out Librarius Conclave, uh, all on bikes, all level 2 with Tegurius. So you have five Librarians, and that's the list. You have 65 points left to play with the Librarians to upgrade them, however you want. I don't know how I'm going to upgrade them yet. Um, the reason why I really like this list is because uh, Giemann can hang out in the Fenrisian Wolves, uh, uh, the Fenrisian Wolves unit, uh, and they can expand out to knock, basically knock grav range off of your opponent, so you can't grab him because it's only twenty four inches, and forty wolves are enough models to, to expand out and stop people. Um, you all you have Voldis and Cipher in the unit, um, giving them an add initiative strength eight or strength ten attack, a close combat presence, and as well, uh, Cipher gives them shrouded and hit and run. Um, so you have these wolves that are shrouded with hit and run. Uh, all the all the Shrinebird get to reroll one save each. So Voldis and Cipher can tank wounds if they need to, and then pass off wounds to dogs. Um, obviously, the the dogs run around and scatter out and and kind of slingshot the characters, and then Gaiman's kind of just dragged along. Um, but he's either using powers or you can he just he's just running and trying to keep up with the dogs. Uh, and then you can summon demons too, you because you have you're a librarian's conclave. You're really good at summoning demons, so you can summon splitting horrors on objectives and then just leave them there while they generate you warp dice and your 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 crazy wolf star unit just destroys things. And then Gaiman countercharges things like knights and wraith knights that might have a good chance of tying up your star because you still can't deal with wraith knights and or with imperial knights in close combat because even the Voldis he's pretty much your only way to kill a wraith knight. So Gaiman can kind of just go in there. Sure, you can run you can run iron arm on the the librarians, um, but that's that's basically was my list idea um, was just buff up a huge. No, Pablo, that's monster. very good. That's very very good. And Gilliman can kill, uh, like you mentioned, imperial knights. Uh, what threatens that list most is stump. Yes. Yeah. Gilliman can can remove any Imperial Knight or Wraith Knight in one turn of combat before they strike. Right. And the the problem with uh with Brandon Grant's list is self admittedly that he admitted if you don't know who Brandon Grant is, um he was for the longest time Matt Root's only real threat to the uh to the top ITC champion until Brett Perkins showed along and started doing really well. Um but Brandon Grant had a Dark Angels Battle Company and a Wolf Star list. And the only well, he was dominating the best players in the world with this list. The only downside to this list was that it didn't have hit and run. Cipher kind of solves that. Um, they and then Gaiman replaces the priest's ability to reroll attacks in close combat. Um, and then the Librarius Conclave kind of takes over the rest. So you're still relying on powers, um, but with Tigerius and Voldis and the Librarians, you essentially you, you essentially get so many rolls into three disciplines that you'll get the powers you need. So Tigerius gets one power you need. In this case, maybe something to protect Gaiman, like Invisibility. Uh, Voldis rolls into Sanctic, and I've actually toyed with the idea of making him the Warlord, so he get four roll he gets four rolls into Sanctic, just to guarantee Hammerhand or plus one Invuln. Uh, which which is huge, Sanctuary or Hammerhand. 
and then finally the the other four librarians they just roll on something else um i was i always thought that maybe i would have uh tigerius roll on the power i needed depending on my opponent uh biomancy technomancy uh librarius which is really good against demons because not only does it give you potentially the ability to reroll your saves and all your dogs but you can also give demons a minus two to their invuln which is huge uh and then voldus rolls on sanctic and then the eight the eight uh librarians all roll on telepathy and fish for invisibility and the reason why you do that is because of gaiman's leadership debuff they all have psychic shriek so you can split them all off and since they all have psychic shriek they can all individually cast it um so you get potentially four psychic shrieks um so that would be kind of my my game plan um and it's it it sounds like a really nasty list. I might go back to it because instead of the Triumvirate of the Primarch, I can just run uh, Celestine and a Castellans with Guillemin, and they kind of do the same thing that Cipher does. <laughs> I like the Triumvirate though because um, because you get the you get the reroll armor save guarantees, don't you? Um, you 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 just with the just with the triumvirate. Just yeah. just with the characters, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, that, that's that's not, yeah. That's I know what you're bad. saying. I th I think I think Celestine. Uh, look, if you if you want to argue, like yeah, you can put Celestine at the front, and that, that's incredible. Yes, um, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, but um, but she doesn't give you shrouded. No, she doesn't give you shrouded. Um, that's what, right. What so... she does do is uh, she she um makes it so you can take all of your uh your detachment eaters in one basket so the problem with i was having with this list is the the wolves are one detachment in itc you're only limited to three so the wolves That's are right, one yeah. detachment the library's conclave is another and the triumph the primarch is the third detachment uh and then when you take the castellans you can take the the library's conclave and the castellans i think you can i, I wasn't i wasn't 100 sure if not it's not a big deal um but you could take guillemin in the cast in the castellans and you can take the triumvirate and the castellans as well you absolutely can't take them um, okay yeah, and yeah. and remember pablo in the uh, in the castellans of the imperium detachment uh, an often overlooked uh, amazing rule from cotius in agents of the emperor if you take if you take cotius the whole thing has objective secured yeah. every single model um, not has the objective wolves. secured the wolves don't have objective not not the wolves sorry but but all your but, but celestine would and all your, all your characters it. would yeah celestine has it which is really all you need uh your librarians have it if if you can take a library's conclave and a castellans um so that that's kind of if, if you're looking at competitive lists and, and then you might I, I know what you guys are already asking yourselves you competitive players who who um are trying to look for the most optimized lists and it's a very valid point um you guys are asking me well pablo what does Guillemin do that 350 points of like obsec MSU troops can't do, right? And, and that's actually a fair argument. Is that is that at that point you can't you just create the Death Star without Guillemin and have and just run a Death Star? And yeah, that's you're absolutely correct. Um, I, I Guillemin brings different things to the table. Um, I don't think I think I don't think he's the most optimal way to run the the wolf star one with the wolf star um but he does have some niche uses that are kind of cool um for example he can like like we said he can take out knights um uh, which is cool he also gives the the wolves makes them just teensy bit faster because they get plus one to their run and plus one to their charge which is helpful um and then the other thing guillemin does is he gives you extra doctrines um, so when you start splitting off your librarians, they, they'll they'll basically you'll always have those options to use those doctrines, and they'll just they'll always be using them. Um, 
Other than that, he doesn't really do a whole lot more. He gives them the reroll the morale test, so he essentially gives them the fear and the fear because you essentially you need like some sort of fearless on your wolf star because you don't want to lose like ten wolves and then just run off the board. So Guillemin gives you that option. He makes you leadership ten, and uh, when Cipher tries to get Guillemin to lower his leadership, Guillemin just gives him the middle finger. Says, "No, I'm the Primarch of the Ultramarines. You will not lower my leadership. Sorry, because his leadership can't be modified at all. Period by anything." And Cypher gives your Warlord a minus one leadership. Um, so your, your Wolves are always getting a re-rollable leadership 10, as long as they're within 12 inches of Guillemin. Um, but I, I don't, I'm don't. i not sold on 100% on if Guillemin is the most efficient uh, use of those points for that list, um, which I'm kind of bummed. No, I, I, think, I think you're right. I think if you, if you break it down to uh, just pure mathematics... Mm-hmm. You will be able to create with the points of Gilliman. You can create something more efficient. Yeah. It might have more projection of power. It might be quicker. It might be better grabbing objectives. It might even bolster your army in more direct, superior ways. Uh, the way I look at it, though, is that what you have in Gilliman is, although he is slow, he does require a bit of psychic support. Not much, just a little bit. Um what you do have is a unit that by himself is very, very tough. Yeah. And I think, I think that does have that does add something to the to the list as opposed to having five more squishy guys. Here's another here's another substantial threat for the opponent to maybe just to ponder. But I think I think you are right. I think if it's if you go for pure mathematics, I think it's hard to it's hard to justify him over something more yeah. efficient. All right. All right, Dan. And then my final list, um, we're actually running out of time. Um, uh, my final list is basically Castellans of the Imperium with Gaiman with a bunch of Guardsmen or some other artillery unit that could really benefit from Gaiman that isn't Space Marines. Uh, and then because the Castellans of the Imperium lets you take a ton of different uh, battlefield roles, so tons of heavy supports, tons of fast attacks, tons of elite choices, uh, you can really create like a, an army that will really benefit from Gaiman. I don't have anything off the top of my head. But I think that's also another very reasonable way to run him. Uh, that uh, mini Death Star uh, with, with Celestine and Guillemin and then just a gun line. That's kind of cool. All right, guys, that's all the time we have. Uh, I would like to give a quick shout out to the ITC. The ITC just did just update their FAQ, so go ahead and take a look at that. Um, I don't know if it's officially updated and cemented yet. Um, but there are interim rulings there, and it is definitely changed. Uh, also, the new ITC missions are pretty much done. Um, I don't know if Brees is going to announce them over the weekend, but I'm super excited about that. You guys are going to listen to the, be listening to this on Saturday, so they might actually already be up. And if you are listening to this on Saturday and they are up, go ahead and take a look at those. The, they're pretty cool. Dan, thanks for coming on. It's been an absolute yep, no pleasure worries. having you. Um, it, it's always great to have a true Ultramarine lover on the podcast to talk to. Uh, because there are so few of us that I know of. I know you guys are all listening. If you love Ultramarines, if you love my podcast, if you love Guillemin, or if you just like to give me a hard time and point out the mistakes I make, go ahead and leave a comment in on FrontlineGaming.org. I love hearing it from all of you guys, regardless if it's good or bad. I just like getting that kind of community and that kind of uh, conversation. Uh, anyways, guys, thanks for listening. Have a good one.